Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5 by 5 Bandwidth for July has been provided by CashFly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. CashFly delivers all of our content here at 5 by 5 and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5 by 5 My guest this week is Nick, oh boy, that's the one question I didn't ask you before we started. How do you say this last name? Susannis. Oh, it's exactly what it looks like. It, it is, though you could have, you know, there's other ways to hit the second syllable. People always look at Terpstra and try to complicate it, but it is, it is as phonetic as a name can get. Huh. I know how that goes. Um, so <laughs> what piqued my interest about Nick is what he's doing with his dissertation. But what's your uh, what's your primary kind of focus right now uh, in in life? Uh, I'm a graduate student at Teachers College, Columbia University. So I'm primarily focused with finishing my doctorate, and the dissertation is the bulk of that. Um, I also I teach a course for educators in comics and another course on reading comics. But um, but primarily I'm a, I'm working on a dissertation. I will ask you in a little bit what is involved in a course on reading comics. But for right now, why don't you tell me and everybody what it is with your, what you're doing with your dissertation that's different? Um, So I'm doing my dissertation entirely in comic book form. Um, So that is not typical for these things. Um, Typically they're completely text documents and, um, Mine is making an argument for the ways that we make sense of the world beyond just text. And so instead of talking about that, I'm also uh, sort of realizing it through visual, you know, sort of uh, making the ideas visual. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what exactly is it about? What's your, uh, what is is it a thesis? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's dissertation thesis. I mean, the thesis is pretty much that it's, it's, I mean, it's a broad subject in that, uh, I mean, it's a sort of broad look at education and, and the sort of ways that testing and a lot of, a lot of sort of institutional things going around academia are, are narrowing our focus. Um, and, and I think text-based verbal linguistic is, is sort of like, that's what thinking is supposed to look like. Um, you know, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with with rows of words going across it. And, and I'm trying to champion in the idea that, look, we do things, we make sense of things by other ways. And when we start to incorporate visual, I'm specifically focused on visual, but, but I think we could look at uh, other ways people make sense of the world. Um, but when we incorporate these things into the ways we, we do things into the ways we think, then I, I, we expand the possibilities um, for how we can learn and how we can teach and how we can be creative and think. Um, so that's sort of in, in a nutshell. Do you think that applies to everybody? Like when, when I was growing up, we had a lot of talk about uh, learning styles, like the audio mm-hmm. learners, visual learners. I don't know how much of that holds true in education these days. Maybe a lot, maybe a little. Um, do you think, though, that this idea of of learning beyond just text applies to all people? I really do, which isn't, I mean, I think the learning styles thing, I mean, that definitely ties into what I'm doing. I think my fear of that sort of 
um, that sort of labeling is that it drops people into a box like you're a audio, you know, you're one of, so now you're sort of sequestered off into that. And, and really what I'm trying to do is saying, yes, people learn through audio or whatever. So let's see that alongside text. Let's see that alongside these other things so that they're, it's sort of the idea of getting, of making perspective when you look through two eyes or when you look through, in my case, image and text, it starts to expand the ways I can see. It starts to starts to broaden the possibilities for the kind of thinking I can do. Sure. Do you are you pretty sure this is going to fly? Uh, like when it comes time <laughs> to turn it in? Yeah, I'm I'm certain that this is going to fly. Um, okay. I mean, you know, I guess there's always a last minute everyone's change of heart, but I mean, this has been passed through proposal. Um, I have the support of my advisors at Columbia and um, uh, it's also gotten a fair amount of attention in the academic world. So it would be quite a spectacular flame out if it, uh, <laughs> if it, if it doesn't happen. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about at the halfway point of drawing it. So, you know, red flags would have been thrown at me a long time ago if, if it wasn't going to fly. So uh, you, uh, did you do a lot of comic art, like prior to this growing up, et cetera? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and that's one, you know, I think a lot of people assume that I sort of got to my doctorate and said doing a comic book, comic book thing would be really cool and disrupt the system. And the truth is I came as a comics maker and said, well, why, why not do this? And, you know, why shouldn't this count? I, I mean, it didn't really even occur to me that this would be that big a deal. Um, but, but I made comics in, uh, as a little kid, I made my own superhero comic through high school that I printed and sold. Um, and then I, I, the interesting thing in college and sort of after that, and even grad school, um, I was making comics, but there were always sort of side projects. I was, I studied mathematics in college. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm in school, I'm supposed to do something serious and, my comics were always kind of on the side, even though I made fairly serious comics at that point. Um, so it's sort of interesting to me to see how in the 20 years since I was an undergrad, the, the, the sort of tide has turned where you can do where I, I now think of what I do is very serious um, and comics. And, and I wish, you know, 20 years ago, I had been able to combine all those things. Um, I think it would have had a quite a different arc, but um but, but anyhow, so comics were off to the side for a long time. And then in, uh, I, I was in Detroit for quite a while. And um, I came back to doing some comics related to art shows. And I used those pieces to uh, to convince the folks at Columbia that this is the kind of thing I could do in an uh, academic educational realm. So I have to jump back for one second. Yeah, sorry. No, that's all right. What's your high school superhero's name? <laughs> sure the trademark is good right now but um uh it was locker man this was a sort of a i don't know i mean i don't know if all schools have this but we had locker partners when you're in eighth grade to share it and i i just came up with something to make for my buddy that we're sharing the locker with and then it turned into this sort of sweep i mean it was supposed to be just one cartoon i made and then all of a sudden it became this ongoing longer and longer with each issue um, it, it became more serious too, as it went, but a good way to explore ideas and think about things as a young person. I have a follow up. 
Yeah. What was his superpower? Wait, sorry, I lost you there, Brent. What was his superpower? Uh, his primary his primary power was that he could really step through lockers, but really any doorway and come out any other. Um, ah. He, he's really able to sort of. I mean, you know, he could fight and stuff like that because that's what superheroes do. But but his his big thing was this ability to sort of transport himself through um, entranceways. Um, and, and actually, there, there's a 90% chance that he's going to make an appearance in my dissertation. Nice. Um, 90%. So it's like portal in lockers. What's that? It's a portal in a locker. Yeah, sort of right. And the idea of portals, uh, I'll be talking about the imagination in uh, in an upcoming chapter, and sort of that idea that imagination is a something we step through into this other place. Um, I think I'll tie that back into my early comic making days. So I have to ask: Have you or do you uh, mind map? Um, I'm aware of it and I probably do my own version of it, but I'm not trained so well in that realm. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at it as kind of that combination of, it's a different kind of thinking and it seems like the kind of thing that might fit. But then yeah. again, I know very little about the personality behind the average comic book illustrator. So tell me, do they all have a proclivity for mathematics, is that common in comic book makers? Yeah, um, I would say probably not. I I, I would guess absolutely not. Um, <laughs> that would have I been mean, my guess. Yeah, I mean the the, the tendency, and, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about us being put in boxes. Is you know people that maybe like art and then are sort of turned away from mathematics. I think. Or, you know, I mean, you tend to sort of split off into different things and partly because how things are taught and partly, you know, I mean, certainly our natural tendencies as well. So my my sense is there aren't a lot of uh, comic maker mathematicians. I I could be completely wrong about that. I I don't know. Um, I would would think someone like Chris Ware and the kind of design sense that goes into that, uh, that's probably probably he's definitely into it, whether he's schooled in it or not. I don't know. So you spend a lot of time with comic book people though, right? Uh, I'm starting to, um, but not really. I mean, I'm, I'm up at Columbia. Um, so, you know, there's not a lot of comic book people there. Didn't Um, you say there was a comic book comic course? Ah, yes. I offer a course for educators on using comics in their classroom. Oh, so they're not comic book people, really. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Author? (laughs) Comic book authors? Yeah, no, they're not comic book authors. Um, In this past year, I've spent a bunch more time. There's a symposium that meets every week for comic book makers, whatever. Um, So I've gotten to know a lot of people through that. But, um, But until then, most of my time has been the comic book guy around academic folks. Hmm. So like growing up, were you a lone comic book nerd? Um, I mean, nerd in a good way. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's funny. That word has been appropriated to mean better things now. Um, yeah, yeah. I, it, it had the same connotations when I was in high school as it probably did when you were younger. Uh, it was uh, a derogatory term, but I say it with the uh, the utmost <laughs> respect. Yeah, I. You know, I mean, I read them. I I, I read them. I had friends, uh, buddy back from kindergarten that we we collected comics together, and um, but did you guys, draw them together? I drew, I was usually the drawer. I made, I drew stories that people did when we were little and then I did my own stuff. But, um, not sure that I quite fit that. I was also, I played sports a lot. So I, it's, um, I don't know that I quite fit that label. Maybe I'm just trying to get out of that label. What Um, sport did you play? Um, well, I played in, in the beginning of high school, I played football and basketball, and then I stopped those cause I was on my way to play, t- uh, college tennis, which I then played low, low level, uh, pro tennis after that. Um, so that was a huge part of it. I mean, that was probably the thing I spent the most time on. This is intriguing. Like, like I said, I, I don't, I don't know anything about the average comic book guy. Yeah. Like the ones I know they're definitely they're kind of oddballs yeah but I don't I've never asked anyone about comics before so this is like brand new territory for me but it seems to me that you are very abnormal being an athlete and and mathematician and still being good enough at comics to teach courses in it um, or at I, least good enough at understanding the concepts behind <laughs> what a comic is. Yeah, I mean, sure. I, like I said, I, I mean, my whole sort of philosophy behind this work is, uh, you know, the, the sort of boxes we get lumped into are not are, are not true and not helpful to who we can be. So I, I've personally never uh, been good at, at, at staying in one box. Um, just cause, you know, I, I'm curious about things. So why not, why not play in as many realms as you can? I can 100% appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I, okay. I have some burning questions for you. All right. All right. Our first sponsor Thanks. today is hostgator.com, a premier web hosting and domain name provider. If you're looking to start a website, hostgator can help you get started with monthly hosting plans. One-click installs and features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you're a business or simply a more advanced user, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans, VPS, and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime, regardless of your size or needs. If you're a WordPress user, <laughs> if you're a WordPress user, you're going to love their one-click installs and optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and bandwidth. They have free, easy-to-use site builder tools. But if you find yourself in need of help, they also have 24-7 support to ensure everything is running smoothly. So swing by HostGator.com to learn more. When you decide to purchase, be sure to use the coupon code 5 by 5 and get 30% off of everything you buy. Okay, so what is a comic book? And I mean, the in in concept to you, what is a comic book? Um, that's a that's a 
often discussed question. Um, you know, I mean, the simplest definition is it's a combination of words and pictures. Um, Scott McCloud's whose definition, which comes from his 93 book, uh, understanding comics, um, which is a fantastic resource, uh, is a juxtaposed, let me think, juxtaposed pictorial and other images in deliberate sequence. Um, for me, I, I'm really excited about the idea that they they feature that they, they can be read both like you read text, you know, sort of line by line in a sequence, but they also offer sort of the way you view a piece of art. So they're all at once. So you're sort of combining two ways that we interact with the world. You're sort of that sort of linear focused, but also this all over broad awareness. So um, you think that it's not just a frame by frame thing that there's, a, there's a reason that you have multiple frames on a page. Does, I mean, do, that, does go, the brain process, does the brain, can you scan a page in a nonlinear fashion and understand a story? Uh, I mean, not sure that I can answer that part. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure that you can understand a story in that way, but I think, a lot of comics that that whole what the page does um, and and looking at my pages or I could give you examples, um, the whole composition is contributing to the meaning. Um, it, it is very different. I mean, like a storyboard artist, which is often compared with comics, um, you know, the storyboard artists decide what goes in the frame and and that definitely can be read frame by frame. And I think you look at the earliest comics that came out of comic strips, um, a lot of them could sort of be, could be cut up into, you know, almost a slideshow kind of view. But, but I think a lot of comics today and, and, and comics in the past um, really take advantage of the fact that, that how this entire composition comes together, where, where is, what is the relationship between the two panels in terms of their size in terms of where they sit on the page, that that brings a lot of meaning to it um, in ways far beyond just a sequence of images. So uh, are we blurring the line between comic and graphic novel? Or is this like an all-encompassing term we're using? Uh, well, I mean, the, the truth, and at least in my view, uh, I mean, gra graphic novel is pretty much a marketing term, Um you know, that, that was able to get comics into bookstores. And it's one that's stuck. And I mean, I think it's been good for comics in that grownups, whatever that means, um, take them more seriously. And, and you might say that graphic novels are different than comics because they're intended to be a single story and bound and, and things like that. But there's so many exceptions to that. Um, I, I think mostly it's a marketing term I, to I indicate a more serious kind of comic, but, but things like Watchmen, which is like known as the best selling graphic like novel. The of only all time. graphic novel I've ever read. See, I was, except that came out as a monthly comic book. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, these, I think, you know, it's, it's a form, it's a form of, of making sense of things and, and whatever you call it, comics is not a great name, but it's the name it started with. Um, and graphic novels has some, unusual connotations as well if you think about it much well see you, you you said early on when i asked you what a comic was that it was a combination of pictures and words which in my mind is what a children's book is it's mm -hmm. like a picture book 
So mm-hmm. what makes comics of interest to adults? And I know that you kind of teach uh, education, correct? Like, yeah. So you are dealing with children, but I think well, I think you see it as something that applies to everybody in all walks of life. Yeah. Um, I mean, to clarify, I'm saying that's one definition of comics, pictures one and words. One facet, sure. And, and McLeod's definition is is really about the sequence of images. So there are plenty of, of wordless comics. Um, and the definition that I sort of hinted at that I'm working from is that it's really two kinds of reading modes and that you sort of read in, in text-like fashion, but also all over in, in image-like fashion. Um, but, I mean, and, and one way they're, I think that they're quite different than picture books. I mean, I think they're definitely related. Um, picture books tend to be like there's an image and then somewhere off of it, the, the text is, you know, down to the bottom or occasionally integrated, but usually separate. Um, and I, I think the way that comics integrate text, I mean, they become part of the composition, telling you what way to read, where to sort of move from panel to panel or, or across the page. Um, and they also become visual elements in that, you know, sort of onomatopoeia-like. Uh, they become, I mean, a lot of comics artists go beyond a font, but have the, like, sound effects or, or whatever become, like, visual components of the of the story. Um so there's there's that aspect of it, but but why it's good for adults? Um, I mean, I, my first response is why not? Um, I mean, I think we accept that going to an art museum is good for adults, um, and we don't question that, right? I I kind of do, but oh. I, I, yeah. Well, why? I I, I, you know, I mean, I I, I was an ahead, art student. I'm yet not a huge yeah. fan of modern art. I like. I, I like classics, I guess, but yeah, I've the more narrative art. You you like more narrative sort of painting, I guess. Or, yeah, and 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 it's weird to me that I haven't been more into comic books in my life. I know plenty of adults who love them, and yeah. and I I get why. And and in answer to my previous question, if I can answer it myself, Please. I can actually read out of order. And understand mm-hmm. the storyline. In fact, that's the only way I really read. If I'm reading an article, whether it's a newspaper or a blog post, even a book, yeah, I'm jumping around. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm checking ahead to see where something's going, and then going back, reading the middle, and and especially when I'm looking at a page with multiple frames with images in them, it's sure. completely natural for me to scan down to the end, come back, look at the middle, double check the beginning. I think it makes. I think I think I might be not uh, representative of 100% of the population, but I think there's definitely a, a learning style, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. that that works that way and that comic books do make a lot of sense for. Yeah, and I think it, it opens, I mean, you said it really well, it, it, it opens, you know, you can access the comic, you know, you can be very linear to some of them, but you can also approach it like you're doing. You know, you, it encourages you to sort of reread and and make new connections as you're rereading. Um, I, I mean, I think that's a lot of their strength. And I, and I think back to your adults question, um, you know, I mean, I think because comics were sort of associated with kids literature, which is not how they started, but but that is how they were known for a long time. Um, we've sort of dismissed them, but the fact is 
through image, you can, you can pack a lot of information. Um, and that's maybe a need to be visual to explain all that, but, um, you can have all these layers of information coming at you simultaneously, um, that make this thing that can appear kind of simple, but, but through color and through uh, signs and symbols and, and just the way that somebody, a line is rendered is conveying all this meaning to you can make a really, really sophisticated thing in something that seems rather accessible and simple. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me overall. Um, like I said, I, I think don't, we go ahead. I think we have to get you reading more comics. I was going to say, I, it's, it's <laughs> weird to me. It really is. Like I enjoy talking about this and I find myself fascinated by the ideas and, mm-hmm. and, and I really, you, you, you should mind map more. Like there, there really don't have to be rules. Like, I mean, like yeah. Luzanne had a lot of rules around mind mapping, but it's mm-hmm. a way of thinking in that scattered scan around the page kind of fashion Yeah, that I think would make a lot of sense for you. Personal suggestion. Well, I, no, I appreciate that. And I think, I think mostly it's just not a word I use. Um, I, I think, I mean, if you look at how I develop um, my comics pages, it's this sort of spatial organization of some of the text I have ideas for, some images, and then I start moving these pieces around. So I, I think, I mean, I think it's very much like mind mapping. I and think in my, it is, yeah. And in my classes, I tend to introduce things like uh, sketchnoting, um, Mike Rohde's work in sketchnoting, and some of the other visual facilitation things, which I think are all different offshoots of mind mapping. Um, but I think that speaks to my larger point. When you start to, you know, if your process is, you know, look, we have to just use text, you just use text, I, I think we don't see things. But when you do things like mind making, mind mapping, or uh, or the way that I construct comics, start to discover things you didn't, you didn't know you could think about. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, a kind of dialectic process with yourself. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. It's a converse, you know, your eyes have a chance to interact with this stuff. And, and then, yeah, it's this nice feedback loop. I mean, I, I really think the comics, what I can say in comics, I don't know if say is the right word, but, but it's so much smarter than, than what I can figure out without them. So, um, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, that's I it. I keep that's interrupting it. you. No, I keep talking too long. <laughs> uh, I must be impatient. I don't know why. Um, what's the smartest comic book you've ever read? What made you uh, stop and really just say, wow? Uh, well, uh, can I give two? You may. I mean, Chris Ware's work, uh, who's known for Jimmy Corrigan, the smartest boy, smartest kid on earth, and, and more recently, Building Stories. Um, that work, it really, I mean, it's work designed to slow you down, but it but it has all these sort of tangential moves that you can do in, in the space of a comics book, comic book page. Um, so it has linear moments, but then it has side moments and it has, it, it's very much like a piece of architecture, but meant to be read, um, which I think comics have a lot of overlap with, with architecture in that way. There's this sort of thing you move through and you have some choices, um, but, it, but it's a spatial experience. Uh, the second book is uh, Asterios Polyp by David Matsushelli. And um, that's pretty recent. And that also has a lot of architecture in it. Um, he does a, a, an amazing use of, of color 
to convey a lot of meaning and a, an amazing use of of sort of uh, styles of how he does his fonts, how he uh, sort of, if you're familiar with the term multimodal, just, just the fact that other modes besides text convey meaning. Um, this book is just dense. It's very, it's very cartoony in an, in first glance, but it is extremely dense in the sort of layers of information that are, are being conveyed through color, font, uh, just line style. Um, really, both of those are really brilliant, brilliant works. I will have to look both of those up. Yeah, please. Because I've never heard of either. So, yes, it's on my list to do. All right. Um, I'm going to take our second sponsor break. Is it okay. really only our second? Uh, yes. This has been a great conversation. I've lost track <laughs> of time. Um, okay. So, today's episode brought to you by Hover.com, simplified domain management. You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in when all you want is a simple .com or maybe a CO or TV. And if the .com you want isn't available, you can also get .net, which is the one alternative to .com that's really become universally accepted. Hover makes it easy. Just enter the domain name you want into their search box and Hover will, Hover will tell you if it's available. If not, it will come up with some suggestions. You can also just type in a few keywords and Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you like a digital soothsayer. They have real human beings available for support and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no-hold policy. Somebody just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And if you use the code DANSENTME or visit Hover.com slash DANSENTME, you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from Hover.com. I almost lost my voice before I finished that. I, I'm, I'm ill and lacking sleep. Um, but I will, tell you, I will tell you why that's weird when I get to my top pick. But we are at the top picks. And we, we bounce back and forth. Mm-hmm. So would you like to start? Would you like me to start? I would love it if you started. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to give you a pick of something I'm interested in at the moment. Is that correct? That is correct. Got it. Uh, well, since we're talking comic books, I picked uh, a very new comic. came out last week. Um, mainstream superhero comic uh, called Hawkeye. It's one of the Avengers that shows up in that movie, if you've seen it. I have. Movies uh, I know. All right, all right. So Hawkeye, the guy who shoots arrows. Um, yes. Anyhow, this issue by Matt Fraction and the artist is, uh, it's probably David, and I don't know how to say his last name. It's A-J-A, Aja, Aja, but he's Spanish, so I'm not, I don't know. Um, but this, this entire issue is uh, from the perspective of the dog, known as Pizza Dog. Uh, this is Hawkeye's dog. So instead of, there's a little bit of text for the few words that the dog understands that the other characters are speaking. But other than that, it is entirely from his point of view. And there are sort of symbols for things he recognizes in scent. Um, uh, Occasionally there's diagrams of how his scents are working and, um, and a lot of sort of architectural elements as he moves through and tries to figure out things. So it's, it's a really using the comic form in a, quite unique way, especially for a mainstream title, um, to, uh, to sort of get behind 
the get inside the head of this dog and and it makes for a compelling narrative wordlessly and dog's point of view so um, do you know dogs well enough to know if it was behaviorally accurate at all well i was i'd say i i mean my experience with dogs it seemed pretty accurate but but it's also this struck me in particular um one of the pages from my dissertation is about my dog uh and specifically about the dog's sense of smell as a as a, as a means of perception and the way that you know dog's sense of smell is not just stronger but it's more nuanced so like mm-hmm. if they smell a tree they know who walked by there seven days ago and six days ago and they sort of have a time capsule with everything that they you know breathe in um, so I, I think it, you know, I mean, like I use it to try to talk about how, you know, the different ways that we make sense of the world and sort of legitimizing them. And I think it's hard for us to have a, any grasp of how a dog sees the world. Um, so I, I think it made a, a really valiant effort um, and, and sort of turned over what comics can be in, in playing with that. That sounds fascinating. Um, it's really cool. So it's Hawkeye number 11 on the newsstands now. That uh, that movie, How to Train Your Dragon, did you see mm-hmm. that? I did not. That movie was fascinating to me because it was quite obvious they did animal behavior research when they, when they uh, animated the dragon. Like cool. All the movements were a cross between horse and dog behavior. Uh-huh. And just, I don't know, it was really, I really enjoy it. When people have some idea what they're talking about and then uh, tell the story from an unexpected perspective. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it changes how how you then see things because you now have a glimpse at at how other things see. Awesome. Yeah. So my first pick is an $800 behemoth that's on my floor right now. Um. I got a uh, I got a standing desk last week, and oh. it's uh, that's not my pick though. The desk is oh. awesome. It's got um, like microprocessor controlled hydraulic lifts. I can I can Sweet. go from standing to sitting without spilling a drop of coffee. But the pick is the treadmill, the lifespan treadmill that's underneath oh my. my desk. I have I have walked quite a few miles in the in the week I've had it now. And mm-hmm. I have burned a lot of calories and I am starting like I've been uh, just I've been sitting on my butt for years and I've yeah. gotten fat and I've gotten to a point where I felt <laughs> like I was so out of shape that I couldn't get back into shape because I was too out of shape to exercise. Yeah. And this just starting with a slow walk and just doing it for a long time, taking breaks and then upping my pace a little bit. I've already in a week gotten to a point where I'm active enough that I can like, I can run. I can feel like I have a chance of recovery here. And awesome. uh, yeah, it's, and, and having it in front of my computer, having my 27 inch monitor hidden behind the treadmill. So I have to walk a bit to get to it. Now, mind awesome. you, I have it set up so I can move it out of the way, but it's, it's not convenient to do so. So I find myself just walking while I'm working. And if anyone's wondering, it's actually pretty easy. If you get up, I, I found that around 2 to 2.1 miles per hour, your gait smooths out just enough that your hands can stay steady. And it's not awesome for concentration, 
like if you really need to like figure something out and those are the times I'm best off just taking my laptop and curling up in a chair and really focusing. But for the most part, 90% of what I do on my computer, I can do while I'm walking, which is surprising to me. That's really cool. I, can I, can I respond? You absolutely can. Well, two things. I, I get new scientists, uh, uh, I get what it's a weekly science magazine and, and their feature article this week is on the, the health effects of sitting. Um, I mean, it's a big feature article on, and on how bad sitting is, even if you're somebody who does a lot of exercise, you know, like you have bursts of exercise, but that six, eight hours of sitting, um, has tremendous, uh, detriment on our health. So I, I think that's fantastic. And I, I have a sense that we're going to see a big, you're, you're an early adopter of something we're going to see. But, but the second thing is I, I feel like I get my best ideas when I'm out, like I'm trying to work through a problem and then I'm like, all right, I go for a run and then the pieces that I'm trying to figure out work out really well. So I, I kind of wonder if, as you get used to it, that just the activity of moving, what might change your concentration, but maybe it's even possible it'll aid it in some way. It, it has know. already, I've found myself, less stressed and more creative. And I've assumed yeah. that those two have gone hand in hand and it probably has a lot to do with endorphins and whatnot, but it definitely has an effect. And I've, I've long known that my best defense against a, like a mental block is a walk, but it's been so hard to get myself to do it. And yeah. something, and it wasn't just getting the treadmill, something snapped clicked for me like last week. And I just decided I didn't want to be lazy and fat anymore. And I'd been waiting awesome. for so long for that to click because I didn't yeah. want to, but I didn't have the motivation to change anything. So I'm hoping this sticks, but it's definitely, it's a, it's a 180 degree turn from where I was, you know, a year ago. So it's cool. Cool. Ah, congratulations. Well, thank you. So your second pick. Okay. So I picked, I felt like I should pick something computery, so I, I picked uh, I picked an app for my iPad, which I've I've only used a little bit. Um, I recommended it to a comics artist I know who loved it, and then I went ahead and tried it after the fact, even though I'd already had it. Um, and this is Procreate. It's a you know it's a drawing app for the iPad that you can use your finger or your whatever uh, your stylus for, and. Um, I don't know where to go with that, except I'm, I'm someone who draws on a tablet. I do my comics work on a tablet. Um, but it, it is, it was, it's really, it's nice. I mean, I think tablets have a ways to go in terms of, of how the sort of sensitivity and things like that. But, um, but in terms of like having an idea and be able to like knock it out with color and stuff in, in, fraction of the time you would need in something else. I, re I really love it and a very intuitive tool. Um, I don't know. I have yet to produce something finished on it, but, but in terms of getting ideas down, um, I'm really quite pleased with it. Yeah. I've tried a bunch of those. Like I think I mentioned earlier in the show that I was an art student. Yeah. And, uh, and I've long been trying to rekindle my drawing abilities and I found mm -hmm. that the iPad is really, it's, it's like a combination of working on paper and Photoshop at the same time. Right. If you get the right app. And, Absolutely. Uh, and Procreate has been one of the cooler ones I've tried. I really enjoy, uh, I think it's paper. 
has a, like, oh, yes. once you get the nice brushes for it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's what I haven't done. I've tried it and I like it, but I haven't got the nice brushes. You spend, may have spend the ninety nine cents, <laughs> or is it more than that? I can't remember now. That's that's pretty steep, man. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, I, my friend Eric Sagan is an illustrator. He's uh, he's uh-huh. car- cartooner with a K, um, and. <laughs> He that's his like Twitter handle and his website, but he I think Procreate was the one he loved. Uh, he's yeah. He he would sit. We'd be at like we all work remotely, so we only see each other a couple times a year, and um, and he would sit with his iPad and just do sketches while I watched, and it was pretty amazing uh, what he could do that made an iPad better than working on paper. Like so yeah. many tools, so many colors, so many things just right at your fingertips instantly. It's fun. iPads yeah, are fun. It's, it's very, I mean, I got my mom drawing on it, and she's pretty non-computer friendly, um, and she just she just started making a picture on it. So it was, it's unfriendly to computers? No, I mean, unf- sorry, I couldn't think of the right <laughs> word. Uh, she's, savvy? Uh, she's not, she's not, yes, she's not super savvy on the computer, but um, she took to this thing in like 30 seconds, so... Um, that's my testimonial for it. <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. What am I on? Number two? Number yes. two, I have a super weird app. Uh, weird to me. Um, but it's called Congress. It's on my iPhone. And it basically is a political junkie's uh, dream. It's completely a nonpartisan fact database. It can tell mm. you, can tell you. Um, let's see, latest activity. Uh, they it lists all the bills that are up for votes right now. Making work and marriage pay act of two thousand thirteen, Veterans Health Access Act, etc. And it tells you what's going on, what subcommittees they're in, all this stuff that most people probably would get really bored reading. But I find. Uh, a lot of it angers me and I, I find that a nice break from my usual happiness. Um, but it also has a legislators section where you can find all, all of the legislators, um, that are, you know, deciding things for us. And when someone makes a really, you know, when someone participates in jackassery, you can mm-hmm. look them up and you can see everything they've sponsored, everything they voted on and how they voted. Mm-hmm. It's like just instant. Um, you can learn a lot really fast with this yeah. app. It's pretty cool. If you like cool. politics, if you, even if you hate politics, I'm kind of, I have a love hate thing with politics, but I find this fascinating. Uh, it sounds, uh, it sounds needed. Um, a way to weed through a lot of stuff sounds important. I I think it is. Uh, it would take me forever to look all this stuff up, you know, one search at a time on Google. Yeah. Do they do they have a non-jackassery uh, thing? I mean, is, is there anyone that sort of jumps out as on the opposite side of that? I I refuse to engage in actual <laughs> partisan debate. I have very strong feelings about it, but I'm not going to say it. All right. All right. Good. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Fascinating. I've said that a lot this episode, but I'm easily fascinated. Yeah. I, I enjoy being fascinated, I should say. I look for it. That's an important trait in most of us, I would hope. 
All right. You got a third pick? I got a third pick. Uh, I haven't read yet, but it is on my list. Uh, this is my dad insisted that I get this book. And um, this is E.O. Wilson, a uh, Harvard biologist who's famous for studying the ants. Um, I've read a lot of his books, but this is a current one called Letters to a Young Scientist. And I think it's sort of his advice to young people to be scientists or really to follow their their inclinations. I think that's the, like I said, I haven't read it, but but what the little I know of it and the little I know of, and the more I know of Wilson, um, I, I think he writes from a place of, of great compassion for what's happening to the planet and sort of the need to have a lot of well-educated, uh, independent thinkers that can you know, sort of make a difference in where we're headed as a people. Um, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to reading the book. I mean, it's a short little book. Um, but I, I think in my, I'm sort of looking forward to being finished with the dissertation at some point so I can make some works um, around around the environment and around health and just sort of thinking about where we're headed and 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 trying to get people to keep their eyes as open as possible. And, um, and I think this is a book that speaks to that. This sounds, this sounds like the exact opposite of my last pick. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, come on. We're talking about Congress. That's the opposite of intellectual (laughs) people who are worried about where the planet is going. Well, (laughs) I'm, I'm talking nonpartisan. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the opposite. It is. Well, I feel then, like this is a direct reaction to my choices. It, it wasn't. I wrote them down before <laughs> I set the book out. I, I didn't even see it that way. Um, but I, but I mean, I think. Uh, oh, it's got a typo on the cover, but that's uh-huh. another. It's got Pulitzer spelled wrong. What are the odds of that? Um, but anyway, <laughs> wait did it did it win a Pulitzer or was it nominated? He, he is. He is one of Pulitzer, and he didn't uh, spell it right. They, they should take his billeter away. Or is well, it, he didn't spell it. Well, however you say it. It's, anyway, this is a side oh, note. Right. Um, I, I mean, you know, I mean, I think ultimately politics is, uh, you know, we've got to make, we've all got to, like, figure out how we're going to get where we're going together. So I, I think. Except, you know, we're, except we're not. And I, I, well, like I said, I refuse <laughs> to get into the debate. But what's going on right now is not by the people for the people. No. I agree. I agree 100%. And I'll stop right there. But but I think, so I think this book perhaps um, will inspire some people to, you know, to not feel like they have to go down a narrow channel and sort of keep their eyes open and, and try to do, you know, try to work for what's best for all of us. There's, that's my hopeful message. I am intrigued. <laughs> I am intrigued. But not fascinated. Not yet, because you Not haven't yet. read it yet, so I can't. I haven't read it yet, so I, I, the cover's nice, except for the typo. So I am intrigued. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, so can I do something really selfish for my third pick? Uh, it's your show. I, I Do I have a choice? No, absolutely not. So I, when, I picked, when I picked this third pick, I was thinking, it's my show, I'll do what I want. Yes. And... Uh, so I made T-shirts, not not because of the third pick. The, my third pick is actually Teespring, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really cool like, and, and a lot of nerds have been using it lately. Um, uh, it's a crowdfunded T-shirt campaigns where you create the designs, and 
uh, you upload it and then you set a goal and you say like 25 or 50 shirts and mm-hmm. it doesn't print and it doesn't charge the customers until you meet your goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's really, it's nothing out of pocket. You make a little bit of profit off of it and yeah. you get to make t-shirts and they handle the shipping, the printing, the sourcing, everything. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, and so I have t-shirts up at uh, teespring.com slash T-R-P-S-T-R-A. And they're they're pretty cool. And I've already met my goal. So I'm not saying this because I need you to go buy a t-shirt. I'm saying mm-hmm. it because I really like the system and I really like the design that I came up with in an hour on a Saturday morning. Nice. Yeah, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. But that's how most of my stuff is. That's good. I'll check it out. So... That brings us to our last sponsor of the day, which is the excellent MailChimp.com. Easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform with alliteration. They help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand so you can share it on your website and integrate it into your Facebook page. You can even collect signups from an iPad or a laptop. And importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap, no matter how it's formatted. And you can personalize everything your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. And there's never been a better time to try MailChimp. With 2,000 subscribers, you can send 12,000 emails per month forever. Just, re- just visit MailChimp.com slash 5x5 to learn more. All right, you still with me? I'm still there. All right. That's Here. that's comforting. <laughs> so you are on Twitter as Insusanis. Yes. That's N-S-O-U-S-A-N-I-S. Yes. I didn't find you on app.net. On what? App.net. On what? <laughs> Forget um, about it. Well. Forget about just, it. I think I might have heard the episode where you guys talked about that. I did, I had the CEO on. Uh, um, but... I d- I'll look it up. It's if if it was your thing, you'd probably know about it by now. Yeah, um, I, it's hard to keep up with all the different things and get your work done at some point. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it is. Um, and then you have a website. I found you at uh, spinweaveandcut.blogspot.com. Yeah, you can just you can go to spinweaveandcut.com and it'll oh cool it'll bounce. But right. someday there'll be a physical site or an actual site sitting there. I, you have some. You have a lot of good writing, by the way. Thanks. You're an interesting man. I'm fascinated. Right. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Well, that will wrap up episode. I think we're on 51. Yeah, episode 51 of Systematic. And I am Brett Terpstra. I am TT Scoff everywhere. I'm at brettterpstra.com. Oh, and I have T-shirts. So. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Nick, a bunch for being here. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. That was. And uh, and we'll see everybody in a week. Bye.